You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara in St. Catharines, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestniagara.ca. All right, this morning we are going to do an, uh, another uh, off week, not, not a get into a series right yet. We're going to start our next series next week. Uh, but this morning we are just going to open up the scriptures and swim around the theological pool of baptism and explore the depths of what it is. You hear us all the time saying, you need to be baptized, you need to be baptized, you need to be baptized. Today, I'm going to go through the New Testament and teach you what it is to be baptized because it seems, it's so important for us because it seems that baptism has become a murky water of confusion in the church today when God has ordained it to be a sparkling pool of clarity. And so I just want to, I pray, drop a drop a theological truth into that pool of water that you might see clearly what baptism really is. And there's so many different, there's so many different understandings of baptism in the church today, even represented in this room. One of the common beliefs is this, it's just a personal preference. Salvation is all that matters. And if I know Jesus, I'm good. And so baptism then simply becomes an add-on to my life, kind of like the app to my salvation. And there's no urgency or, necess- or, urgency or necessity in, in people's view of baptism. It's, it's kind of this idea that, that uh, it's a good tradition, it's, it's a good ritual, but if I decide to do it, I will. And if I, if I don't, I won't, but it doesn't really matter. That is completely not true. Another common belief is this, is that baptism is necessary for salvation. It's salvation, it's a salvation necessity. Part of the understanding is the baptismal regeneration theology believes that, that baptism is part of the regeneration process in which the spirit of God moves in and takes over. And so you need to be saved, you need to be baptized to be saved. And, and if you profess Christ and you're on your way to the tank and you die, uh-oh, hope you get there. Because we're not sure what's going to happen in the meantime. That also is not true biblically. The third one is this that I know many people hold. It's a covenant including. Baptism is seen as the rite of passage for our kids, like circumcision. Mark the Old Testament kids. So baptism does the same for our kids. So it's important for us to enter into the covenant family of God through baptism. Again, respectfully, I don't find that in the scriptures. Others then would say this, that it's faith solidifying that baptism is a vital part of my Christian faith and it's the first step in my walk with Christ. So when I first see Jesus Christ, salvation is reaching out to Jesus Christ and saying, God, I need rescue, I need a savior. Then your first step along the path of salvation is straight into a pool of water that gets you wet right up over your head. Baptism doesn't save me. According to this belief, it's the essential aspect of life in Christ. And so I'm sure there's people that sit in each one of those camps here and it begs the question and, and it begs this question this morning with all the different backgrounds and various teaching, can we really know what baptism is? And does it really matter? And to both, it's a yes, we can know what it is and yes, it does emphatically matter to God. And so we're just going to take a stroll through the New Testament today and see what the New Testament says about baptism. Why just the New Testament? Because the Old Testament doesn't even talk about baptism. Baptism came with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came and changed the rules of engagement with God. And with him, he brought a new covenant reality called baptism. And so we're going to start this morning in Matthew chapter 28. You can turn with me there. We're going to flip around a little bit, but that's okay. You guys are all smart. I know you can do it. Matthew chapter 28 is where we're going to start With this thought, here's what baptism is. Baptism is mandated by Jesus Christ. 
Baptism is ordained by Jesus Christ. Along with communion, baptism is an ordinance of Jesus. In other words, baptism is an ordained commandment by Christ as an ongoing practice of the believer and the church. Listen to what it says in Matthew chapter 28. This is one of some of the last words Jesus gave us in verse 19. His famous last words, he says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always right until the end of the age. So what's Jesus saying in here? He's saying, he's saying, my mandate for you is to go and make disciples, to go and help people know the truth of the gospel, then to baptize them, then to teach them all that I've commanded you. What does a disciple of Jesus look like? It's one who's received the gospel, who's been baptized into the faith, and who lives out the ongoing teachings of Jesus Christ. Clear in this passage, Christ is commanding us to be baptized. And it's not just once or twice. Baptism is mentioned in the New Testament. In fact, one scholar has counted a hundred times that baptism is mentioned in the New Testament. It's not just like this little random afterthought in small print that's like, oh yeah, P.S., by the way, you might want to really get your glasses out and squint and see this. You also need to be baptized. A hundred times it's mentioned in the New Testament. Fifteen times of those, just to help you get context, fifteen times uh, it's, it's used figuratively. Jesus uses baptism to refer to the overwhelming sufferings of his life, the baptism of suffering, uh, 14 times. And once he refers to baptism in the context of Moses and the Israelites in a figurative way. Six times baptism is used for baptism of the Holy Spirit. What happens when you're saved, the Holy Spirit moves in and dwells you, you're baptized by the Holy Spirit. And the other 79 times or so, The word baptism refers to the water baptism of believers through their conversion as as repentance of sins and faith in Jesus Christ is a first step of conversion. And so baptism is a clear New Testament teaching that Jesus brought with him. Where does it first show up? It first shows up in Matthew chapter three. Matthew chapter three, all of a sudden we get John the Baptist coming. He's a bit of a weird guy. He's a bit eccentric, but he comes and he comes baptizing. There's no mention of it before. He just comes baptizing. And uh, if you look at John chapter three, it's clear in that passage, John comes baptizing, preparing the way for Jesus. And the baptism that John is using is a symbol of the cleansing away of sin and a passing safely through the waters of judgment and death. He's showing us what's going to happen when Jesus comes. And then in a, in a truly profound and ironic turn, one of the first people we see getting baptized in the New Testament is who? In Matthew chapter 4, who is it? Jesus himself. So John comes saying, Jesus is coming to be baptized. All of a sudden, Jesus is standing in the water going, John, can you baptize me? And he's like, this is backwards. Something's not right with this. I, I, I need you to be baptizing me. Jesus says to him, no, you baptize me, please. And so Jesus shows us himself the importance and the sacredness of the practice of baptism. What's he doing when he's getting baptized? He's showing us what's to come of his life. He's going to die and be buried and rise again for us. He's also showing us what it means to follow God and to follow God's plan for our lives. And think about this. Is baptism important? Is baptism important? Jesus was baptized. Well, I don't need to be baptized. Then you're a step ahead of our Lord and Savior because he followed the Lord in the waters of baptism. The perfect one. 
the one who was born a Jew and circumcised on the eighth day and knew all the rites and customs, who was fully accepted into the Jewish family, he started his public ministry by being baptized. Remember the, the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the voice and the dove and Jesus, they were all present at that moment. It was a significant time in the life of Jesus. Do you think baptism matters to us today? Already, I think I could probably stop there and I've given you a lot to go on and chew on. Why do I be baptized? Because Jesus proclaimed and practiced baptism. Because, plain and simply, because Jesus said so. My other son says, why do I have to do that, Dad? Because Dad said so. You don't need anything else. Dad said so. Why do I have to be baptized? Because Jesus said so. It's not me saying so. It's not Harvest Doctrine saying so. It's the Word of God saying so. And if Jesus says so, it's not a matter of my personal opinion. It's a matter of my obedience to Jesus' baptism is. Not only did Jesus say so, but Jesus did so. And if Jesus wasn't above it, why would I be above humbling myself and getting up in front of people to proclaim my love for Jesus Christ? There's two reasons enough to get in the tank of baptism and, and follow the Lord in obedience. But let's go into the meaning of baptism through a couple more passages in the New Testament. First one is this, baptism is an ordinance of Christ. This is ordained by God. This is something God's given us along with communion for the church to remember his coming, to see testimony of his life in this world. The second thing is this, baptism reveals my faith in Christ. Baptism reveals my faith in Christ. Baptism is simply this, an outward expression of the inner reality of my heart. Ultimately, how does the world know that one is a follower of Jesus Christ? We don't look any different. We don't dress differently. We don't get a Jesus coat like sports teams, you know, and now I'm a part of the team Christ. It's through baptism and the newness of life that Jesus gives us on the inside. Baptism reveals the reality of Christ in your life. This is what baptism is. It reveals my faith in Jesus Christ. Before we get any further, I just want to clarify one thing for you before you get too confused Baptism does nothing to save you or I. Baptism doesn't save us. It is, it is not baptism that's saving us. Ephesians 2, chapter 8 and 9 says the same thing. It says it very clearly. We're saved by grace. We're saved by the favor and the mercy of God, but not by anything we can do or have done. It's simply by God's grace. And so it's not by any works we do, including baptism. 1 Corinthians 1.17 also makes a clear distinction between baptism and the gospel. Paul says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, let the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And so he's making a clear distinction. There's the gospel, and then there's baptism. They're not one and the same, but, but they, 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 they're so closely tied, though. In the New Testament, salvation and baptism are so closely sewn together that you can barely see the seam between the two. New Testament believers were always followed this pattern. They, were, they believed and they were baptized almost simultaneously for most of them. Acts 2, 41. Those who received his word were baptized. Hear the gospel, respond to the gospel. What's the first thing you do? I don't know what to do with this faith. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. You get in the tank and be baptized. Acts 8, 12. You can write these verses down so you can go home and look them up and check me out. I'm not making this up. I'm not trying to manipulate any text here. Acts 8.12. I'm going to give you a lot and I'm going to run through them so just kind of write them down quickly and look them up later. I could give you all 100, but that would not be effective for you or I. 
Acts 8, 12, those who believed, they believed when the good news was preached, they were baptized, both men and women. Acts 10, verses 47 and 48, they received the Holy Spirit and they were baptized. These two are so closely tied in the New Testament to believe and be baptized that no time in the New Testament is there ever an inference or even a suggestion that there possibly could be somebody who was saved and not baptized. Paul doesn't say, hey, what do you do if someone's saved or not doesn't want to get in the tank of baptism? They didn't even come up because the, the, the understanding was that when you're saved, you were baptized. So what is baptism then? Beyond revealing my faith in Christ, here's what it is. Here's, here's what scripture says baptism is. It's announcing my commitment to Christ. Baptism is a public declaration that I, declaration that I belong to Jesus and he belongs to me. This is the first part, though. Most of the people just leave it here. So let me help you understand this quickly. And, and I don't want to leave it here, though, because this, this is so much more meaningful and deep than this. But part of it is simply standing up before the world and saying, look, I love God. God saved me. I have been made brand new in life. I have a new king. I have a new allegiance. I have a new father. I am Jesus, and he is mine. It's a chance for us to publicly stand and profess our love for Jesus Christ. What's the greatest thing the Bible says is, is is the reality of every follower of God is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart. What is it? All of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. Deuteronomy 6.5 says the same thing, is to love God. Baptism is an opportunity for us to stand and tell the world that we love God. Think of it like this, like a wedding ceremony. It's not the ceremony or the ring that determines a couple's love for each other. It's what's taken place on the inside beforehand that we're just celebrating together. I just did a wedding again yesterday. You watched Sam and Bethany stand before their little packed church and say, we love each other. I remember when I got married uh, almost 17 years ago now. I still remember it plain as day. I remember, I remember the, the, the whole ceremony. I remember how the church looked. I remember how Ruth looked. It was such a significant and special day to us, but it wasn't about the ceremony, really. It wasn't about the ring. It was about the love that we shared for each other. That started almost a year and a half before that as Ruth took me on this little tour of Montreal with her brother. Good first date, hey? Somehow I don't remember much about her brother on during the day, but he was there, I'm sure. And as we met in halfway point, and I didn't really know Montreal, we got in, I got in her car and started talking. It just seemed like I had known her forever. It was one of those weird moments of like, I feel like we've been friends forever. Of course, I didn't say that because I was, didn't want to ruin anything because I'm good at that. So I remember like touring around the city. I remember hitting a really fancy restaurant called Harvey's uh, that night and going to see this really good movie called The Postman. If you've never seen it, don't bother. It's brutal. And sitting in the movie theater, and I remember like the movie was so boring. My mind was drifting. All of a sudden, our knees touched, you know, and you're like young and your knees touch. You're like, ah. Something within me sparked, and I thought, this is the girl I'm going to marry. I'm like, that's the dumbest thing you've ever thought in your life. You've known her for like eight hours. But that started something. And then a year and a half later, we're standing in front of 150 people and we're telling each other we love each other and we're going to do life together. And I got to put a ring on her finger and she put a ring on my finger. That was a meaningful, special day I will never forget, but it wasn't about the day, it was about celebrating the love for each other. 
Some people, baptism is, it's not really about the ceremony, it's not really about the, the, the significance of the water, we're gonna get to that, but it's, it's about the, simply the fact that I get to stand and declare to the world the love for I have for the one I love the most, the one who loves me the most, Jesus Christ. And think of this, Jesus Christ publicly and dramatically declared his love for you by putting up one of those. putting up a cross and saying, I love you publicly. I love you completely. I love you dramatically. I will put myself on the cross for you. Baptism is our simply response. Like, how do I tell God I love him? By standing up in front of a group of people, the world, and saying, I love Jesus and I am committed to Jesus Christ. Baptism reveals my faith in Christ. It announces my commitment to Christ, but it also does this. It demonstrates my union with Christ. Baptism demonstrates my union with Christ. Turn with me to Romans chapter six. I'm gonna give you the clearest picture of baptism in the New Testament. I can't run through all the texts as I said already this morning, but I'm gonna give you the clearest picture of baptism in the New Testament. You know why? Because we have to, biblical interpretation 101 right here. If you wanna try and understand scripture, you know the, the hard ones to understand? Always go to the clear ones and interpret the unclear ones with the clear ones. That's plain and simple biblical interpretation 101. And so I'm going to take you to the clearest picture of baptism in the New Testament that you could then, when you come across the other ones, you come back to this one and be like, oh yeah, well, this is clearly what it says. How do I interpret the other ones through this one? So here's what it says in Romans chapter six, verses three to six. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. It's only a few short verses, but clearly we see here there's the meaning and the mode of baptism. First, I want to get into the meaning because it's significant. It's, yes, it's telling the world you love Jesus, but there's so much more significance to baptism than that. According to this passage, here's what baptism is. It's actually outwardly identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see that in the text? I'm not making this up. See that in the text? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Jesus were baptized into his death? Signifying the waters, I'm, I'm going under, I'm entering the grave with Jesus Christ. We're buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, and so as you come out of the baptism tank, you're saying, this is what's happened on the inside already. I've, I've died with Christ, and I'm being raised to brand new life, that I'm not going to walk a brand new life in Jesus Christ. So baptism really is this, is representing one's union with Christ, outwardly demonstrating the inward reality of our hearts. Colossians 2.12 pulls us out even deeper. It says, it says that our, my, my own paraphrase to help you understand the theological meaning of that. It's a little bit complex. If you read it outright, you can read it again this week, but it's simply this. Colossians 2.12, our heart has been pierced with Christ's power, cutting off the sin. That's what baptism is showing, a newness of heart. Acts 22.16 
It says to rise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Not that it's actually physically washing away our sins. It's demonstrating that I have a new heart and my sins have been completely washed over by Jesus Christ. Titus 3.5 refers to the washing of regeneration again. Uh, again, a, a physical act representing the spiritual act of what's already happened. And then 1 Peter 3.20 and 21. This is an important one. Pulls out baptism as a pledge toward God for a clear conscience. It's a pledge towards God for a clear conscience. And what it's doing in this passage is making reference to Noah and the ark. And it's describing how the ark saved Noah and his family from the flood. So the waters of baptism beautifully depict the same power of God in our salvation that is found in Jesus Christ. It's clear in that passage, not in it. First read, you think baptism saves you. It's not saying that if you keep reading and read it closely. It's showing us that it's depicting the same power that baptism has through Jesus Christ, that Christ has in our lives. And then Galatians 3.27, as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Simply it's this, baptism is a powerful expression of regeneration. Telling the world I have a new mindset, I have a new heart, I have a new life in Christ. It's really, it's really a believer attending their own spiritual funeral. This is who I was before I met Jesus. This is what God has done in my life through Jesus Christ. And this is who I am now. And I'm just going to show you a physical demonstration of what all that means. And so I am declaring that I am dead to my old self. And I am being raised to new life in Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Whatever you want to say after that. It's a powerful depiction of the, the chains of sin being broken in us. And God raising us up to a brand new life in Jesus Christ. One of the most powerful baptism service I ever went to, the saw this depicted was a, a woman as a youth pastor. And I, the pastor gave me three or four people to baptize one Sunday. And one of them was a woman I'd never met before. And as she got into the tank, she brought with her, she brought with her all these symbols of what her old life used to be. And I can't remember them all, but I remember one clear was a, a, pack, a, a pack of cigarettes. And she got in there and she gave her testimony and she grabbed all these things and held them onto her chest and as I dunked her and then she let them go and got up and they were gone. And then we cleaned them out after. <laughs> but what a powerful depiction. It's not just some ritual we do. It's not just what the church thinks it's a good idea and I think it'd be kind of cool to get baptized. It's actually declaring fully that Jesus is my savior and he has crushed the power of sin and death in my life and now I have hope and I have life and I have eternity awaiting me. The mode of baptism, the, the meaning of baptism is so clear in this passage. We need to interpret all the other New Testament passages by this one because this one's the most clearly explained for us. But also in this, when you understand the meaning of it, when you understand the full meaning of it, it just makes the mode so obvious. But the mode is also included in here. The mode being, how are we supposed to baptize? Well, if you understand the meaning of that, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, then the mode, which is again included in this passage, is very simple. It's by immersion. What's it mean? What does immersion mean? The, the Greek word is baptizo. 
both in the Bible and outside the Bible. It's not just a special biblical term here. It's, it's both inside and outside the Bible. Baptizo means this, to plunge, to dip, to immerse in water. Not talking about dipping your toe in water, having a little sprinkling shower. It's talking about being fully immersed, showing that I am fully into this. I am fully into Jesus Christ. When you look at baptism in the New Testament, again, it was always done in the context of a lot of water. John 3, 23, they happened where there was much water. Mark 1, 5 to 10, when Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water. Yes, there's times when it's not possible to fully immerse somebody in the waters of baptism, for sure. We had one of those in our church not too many years ago where it's physically impossible to get somebody in the waters of baptism. Does that take away the meaning of it? It doesn't. It doesn't. We had a nice jug we poured over top of her, and it was powerful, and it was meaningful. But, but where possible, where possible, Jesus says in the scriptures that this is the, 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 the ordinance that I've given you as a powerful demonstration to the world. That you're to follow me in the waters of baptism and be fully immersed. There's such beauty in it, isn't there, as you think about it? There's such beauty in there, thinking that Jesus Christ was willing to follow that path for you. He did that not just in the waters of baptism, he did that on the cross. He willingly laid his life down. That our sins would be covered, that he was raised to new life, that we would also. And so clearly, as we look at the scriptures, baptism, third point is this, it's for every single believer. Baptism is for every single believer. Put the meaning and the mode together, and the ripples of unclarity surrounding baptism are easily calm, calmed. It's clear in the scriptures that baptism is for those who trust Jesus Christ by faith. Salvation is a prerequisite for baptism, But once salvation happens, 101, 201 comes right after. You can't take 201 without 101. And when you see the meaning of it, you understand that you have to, to get the full impact of what it means, you have to be saved. You you, you can't just simply dunk somebody in water that doesn't understand the meaning of that. That's simply getting somebody wet. But when we get the full meaning of it and the full significance of it, it becomes not like, well, I think I should do that. Maybe if I get around to it, it's like, man, I I want to, why would I not want to identify closely with Jesus Christ in front of the whole world? Why would I not want to tell the world I love Christ? Why would I not want to display my union with Christ in such a powerful, visible way? Every believer who has encountered Jesus Christ is called to walk in the waters of baptism And I know the question is out there, so I'm going to aim to answer it in a few minutes here. But what about our kids? What about our kids? How does does that work? How does infant baptism work? It's really, when it comes to baptism, there's really two main main schools of thought there. There's the, the believer's baptism and the infant baptism. Clearly in scriptures, there are four times where it's inferred, got that? It's inferred that kids possibly we're baptized. I'll tell them to you right off the bat. Acts 10, Cornelius' house. Seems to indicate that his whole house was baptized. Acts 16, there's two times. Lydia's house and the Philippian jailer, they and their whole household heard the good news and were baptized. 
1 Corinthians 1.16, the household of Stephanus was also falling into that category. And so, and so what's up with these examples? If this is for a believer, then why are these in there and how does this all work together? Let me try to say it to you this way. If you read those passages clearly and study them, there is nothing within them that says that they were children or babies that were baptized at that time. We're inferring or we're guessing or we're possibly determining ages of people that we have no real way of knowing were actually in that household. And so there's some guesswork going on. And I think as you read those passages, it'd be better off to interpret them like this. And I'm going to give you a few examples of where this does show up clearly in Scripture, that, that in each of those four households, in Cornelius' house, in Lydia's house, in the Philippian jailer's house, in Stephanus' house, very clearly that could have gone down this way, that there was men and, uh, men and women in their maybe 40s to 50s who had kids that were old enough to understand the gospel and to be baptized as the whole family came to Christ at the same time. Well, that's a guesswork. There's, there's guesswork on both sides, yes, but I, I have some clear passages to show that that does happen biblically. Whereas we have no clear passage in the Bible to say anywhere that any clear examples of a baby being baptized in the Bible. If you can find one, show me, and I will start dunking kids. Truly, I want to be where God is. Acts 18, verse 8. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his whole household. Preach the gospel. Can you picture in the living room preaching the gospel? And hey, this person's coming in to tell our family about something. He's just telling me, I want you all to know. And, and the, the spirit of God moves in and everybody's sitting there going like, wow, you mean that I, I am a sinner and without Jesus, I'm going to, I'm going to hell. And I, I want in on that. And the whole family, what a beautiful picture. Wouldn't it be the whole family comes to Jesus Christ at the same time, clear evidence that it does happen in the scriptures. I've seen it happen in, in 17 years of ministry. John 4, 53 says the same thing. The official son was healed. He and his whole household believed. And I know all the arguments that would be had for the infant baptism side, but let me just say it to you plainly and lovingly and gently as I can, is that I believe as you study the, the New Testament for the New Testament, there's a whole lot of theological gymnastics that need to happen to make circumcision connect with New Testament baptism. When Jesus Christ came, he changed the whole game and he brought with him a new covenant, a new covenant that no longer are we born into the family of God through a physical birth, we're born into the family of God through a spiritual birth in Jesus Christ. And once that spiritual birth has happened, that's when baptism is to take place in a believer's life. And as you look at all the different expressions of baptism in the New Testament, clearly the, the call of baptism cannot possibly be had by a little baby who doesn't even comprehend mama and dada yet. If it's an outward demonstration of an inward reality, the baby can't be in that place. If it's for a clear conscience, as 1 Peter 3 says, again, a baby can't be in that place. For Colossians 2, it's talking about the heart here, an act of volition and the will because of a changed heart. And again, there's no examples in Scripture of a child being baptized. You're like, yeah, but what if God wants us to infer that from that passage? Let me just simply ask you this. 
What in Scripture that God has commanded to us is not clear? What is there in Scripture that God has commanded to us that's not clear? Is there anything we find in Scripture that's like God says, I leave you an ordinance, a commandment, something ordained by me. Now, try and figure it out. Hopefully you can put one plus one equals two because if you can't, I don't find that anywhere. The Scriptures are written that we are, it's for the simple it's, it's plain. If God commands it, he doesn't, he doesn't tiptoe around the bushes. He says, if God commands it, he says it. We must be saved and we must be baptized. God's not a God of ambiguity, leaving us to piece things together. He has given us everything we need to know, clearly stated, plainly obvious, so that even the simple people, don't have to be a theologian, even the simple people get it. Also, this is important to note as I studied. Up until the third century AD, the practice of baptizing infants was non-existent. First three centuries of the Christian faith, nobody did it. You think, you think if, if Jesus had ordained it, and Jesus, they would have started right away, don't you think? Let's wait until 300 years from now, and then we'll start that practice. But the early church, they were like, they were like save, baptize, save, baptize. It wasn't until 300 years later that the church started practicing infant baptism. You can do your own study on that. It won't take the time uh, to unpack that for you uh, this morning. But it's interesting to note that the one person that's quoted the most often for uh, covenant theology and infant baptism, John Calvin, uh, this is a quote that he gave um, through John MacArthur, found somewhere in one of his writings. This is what John Calvin said. Clearly the word baptized means to immerse it is certain that immersion was the practice of the early church. It tells you something. It tells you something. Christ ordained baptism to be for the believer. And the covenant relationship with God now comes through simply Jesus Christ. Old Testament physical birth, New Testament spiritual birth. Jesus changed the whole, the whole game. It's a whole new covenant he brought us. John 1 says, how must a man be born again? How must a man come into the family of God? How must he be born again? It's not by will of the flesh. It's not by the will of man. It's not by bloodlines. It's by the Spirit of God. John 3, you must be born again by the Spirit of God. The covenant in our lives now is not in rituals. It's not in what we do. It's in Jesus Christ by faith alone. And everything else flows from that. The only question that the New Testament church asked is this. Are you saved? Do you know Jesus Christ? Have you responded to the gospel? This is what it means to be incorporated into the body of Christ. Not where did you come from, not what doctrine do you believe, is do you know Jesus Christ? And this is the call for every believer. And I know one of the big, the big struggles is, well, what about my kids then? What about my kids? What's my hope for my kids? You know what our hope for our kids is? It's Jesus Christ. Our hope for our kids is that God in his grace would reach down and save our kids. We pray for our kids. We raise our kids. We love our kids. We teach them the ways of Jesus Christ. And we pray that one day every one of our kids comes into their own personal saving encounter with Jesus Christ. That's what saves their souls. Not by my desires or my motives or what I do. It's by their own encounter with Jesus Christ. Never hopes in anything other than that, it's a misplaced hope. So the call of every believer is simply this, to be leave and be baptized. If you turn with me to Acts chapter 8, we'll see this playing out, and we'll see the sequence 
of how this is supposed to play out in our lives. Acts chapter 8, starting at verse uh, 26. It's a call of every believer upon conversion to identify completely and fully with Jesus Christ. Philip, an Ethiopian eunuch. Verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And so he rose and went and get that, this is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there's an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who is in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So he had a copy of the Old Testament. He's reading it, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Excuse me. And so Philip ran to him at once and heard him reading Isaiah and the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is, is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does a prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus Christ. See that? He told them the good news about Jesus Christ. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? The eunuch hears and he understands and his heart is getting excited about the good news of the gospel. He says, well, well, clearly he understood there's something, there's a deep connection between baptism, between salvation and baptism. So, so I see, I believe, so what prevents me from being baptized? Remember, it's a desert, so I believe God supernaturally provided this pool because there's a desert, right? We saw it right at the beginning. There's a desert there. And look what Philip does. He doesn't even say a word. He doesn't even say a word to the guy. He doesn't be like, well, let me explain this to you right now. Look what he says. Stop the chariot. Stop the chariot. He commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down from the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And get this, he went on his way rejoicing. The eunuch went on his way rejoicing. All these things we make baptism in our day and age are theological hoops we have to jump through, all the church rituals we have to go through, all the classes and all that stuff. Honestly, the scripture says this, if you believe, you need to be baptized. If you believe, you not should be, you need to be baptized. You need to stand and declare. You need to, you need to know the fullness of the power of Christ through the outward working of baptism. And this is not a harsh command. It's not a, a hard call. It's for your joy. The, the, the eunuch goes away rejoicing. Picture him doing like the Mary Poppins down the road, he's clicking his heels up and like, woo! Something's different. I'm different. Jesus, I am Jesus, and he is mine. The blessing of obedience is what we see here. The blessing of obedience, the joy of obedience. 
God always promises that when we follow him in obedience, he will bless us and he will give us abundance of joy and abundance of his life. There's no power, there's no magical power in baptism per se, but when faith accompanies it, there is a deep spiritual work that goes on in the life of the believer and the life of the church around the believer. So much more than a ritual or a tradition, this has deep spiritual meaning. I pray you see that and impact. And we're just gonna witness it right now with two people in this service and three in the next. And so you guys can go on and get ready right now and uh, go and get changed. We're gonna do some more worship here before we do this. But I love the call of the Ethiopian eunuch, the call of Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch. I love how he sees the truth of scripture and there was nothing holding him back. He was compelled. He saw the beauty of Jesus. He's compelled. Look what he says here in verse 37. He goes, look, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Philip says nothing. Philip says nothing. Stop the car. Let's get out. Let's do it. Do you know Jesus? Yes. Do you love Jesus? Yes. And this is your first step of faith in Jesus Christ. It solidifies the reality of what's going on on the inside in your heart. It's a testimony to the world around you that you're not going to live the way that you've lived all along. You're moving on to a new life, a brand new life in Jesus Christ. And so we're finishing up a little early today just to have baptisms, but I just want to extend this offer to you as well today and ask you the same question that was asked here in the scriptures. See, here is water. What prevents you from being baptized today? See, here is water. What prevents you from being baptized today? I know there's so many people in our church that have never truly been taught the theological significance of what baptism is. I've just tried to give you a snapshot in the last 35, 40 minutes. The fullness of the depth of the meaning of being obedient to the Lord in the waters of baptism. And so I'm sure there are some here that God's spirit has been working on over the last year, two years, three years, four years, five years. In the back of your heart, every time you see a baptism, you're going like, man, I should be up there. I know God wants me to do this, but I just can't bring myself to do it. Let me ask you this morning, what would keep you from being baptized today? You might even be sitting there right now and your heart's pounding. You're like, man, I know this is, I know this is what God wants me to do but the enemy has got you planted in your seat right now and he's filling your mind with lies. And he's telling you right now that you're not good enough. That you keep falling in the same sin, you keep stumbling around in the darkness and and once you get your life cleaned up, then you'll follow God in the waters of baptism. Can I tell you something? Your life will never be cleaned up enough in your own strength and in your own might to get you anywhere in Jesus Christ. It's by the grace of God alone through Jesus Christ. It's not about what we do or what we own up to. It's about standing and proclaiming the truth that Jesus Christ has saved a wretched sinner like me. There's no six-month trial basis to see if this thing works. It's not taking a few minutes, a few months to clean yourself up. It's an act of faith declaring Jesus' greatness, not yours. Put that one to rest There is no one good enough to get baptized apart from Jesus Christ, but in Jesus Christ, every one of us are good enough. Second excuse or second lie that Satan comes up with is this. I don't know enough about Jesus. 
I just don't know enough about Jesus. The Bible never mandates a doctrine class that you need to go through or you have to pass any test on Bible knowledge. It's faith and repentance and a surrender to the Lord. That's what baptism takes. I know some have often said to me, it's just because I'm too shy, I'm too fearful. I'm so worried about what other people are gonna think. If I can string a sentence together, whether it makes sense. Let me just tell you this, if you won a million dollars today, you wouldn't be shy to stand up in front of a lot of people and hold a check and get your picture taken and say whatever you wanna say. But think of this, Jesus Christ has given us the spiritual lottery. He is the spiritual lottery. Jesus Christ is the spiritual lottery. With him is eternal life. With him, our sins are cleansed. With him, our present life is secure and our future is assured. With Jesus, we've been declared as righteous when we were unrighteous. With Jesus, we've been declared as worthy when we're unworthy. With Jesus, we've been declared as friends of God when we were enemies. Jesus gives us abundant life and an inheritance with God in heaven. Why would you be fearful or shy to stand and proclaim the greatness of your God? Fourth one is this, I'm just too embarrassed. I'm just too embarrassed of Jesus. Not that I'm worried about others, I'm just too embarrassed of Jesus. Mark 8:38 says this, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the son of man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. Gotta be honest, church. Gotta get done with this whole embarrassed of Jesus thing in our culture. Think of the realities of the gospel. The high king of heaven sitting in his penthouse looked down and saw you and I vagabonds on the street corner in our rags begging for for clothes and food. And what did he do? He didn't like stay up in his penthouse. He didn't come down through the nice pearly gates and like go on the other side of the street and and, uh, avoid us. He came down out of his penthouse and he came down right to us and he grabbed a hold of us and he lifted us up out of the miry pit and he took us back into his penthouse and made us sons and daughters of the living God. He was not embarrassed of us. Why would we ever be embarrassed? embarrassed of him. For some of us, we've been embarrassed far too long. It's time to stand and to identify with Jesus Christ today and forevermore. And of course, the last one is this. I'm not physically prepared. Like, I don't have a bathing suit. I don't have a towel. I don't have a t-shirt. Guess what? We got all that stuff. We even got combs. We got undergarments for the ladies. Connie helped us. She's a woman. She helped us think of everything. And so honestly, today, we invite you. As the Spirit of God leads you, we invite you. We're not mandating. This is not because I want you to. It's not because the church wants you to. This is because God tells us to be a believer of Jesus Christ means that I am baptized into the faith of Jesus Christ by the grace of God. So as we go get changed, elders, you can come with me. As we go get changed to get ready for baptism, I'm just going to invite you to stand. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. You guys are going to continue worshiping. But I'm going to say a prayer, and I'm going to invite whoever wants to come with us to get ready for baptism right now with us. And we have two at least, which is going to be exciting, and see if God has more for us today in this place. Let me pray. Let me pray. And then we'll continue worshiping the Lord. So, Father, this morning... We thank you for a drop of theological truth that takes the murkiness out of the waters of baptism and brings clarity to the ordinance of Christ. God, I pray today by the power of your Holy Spirit that you'd quicken this word on every single heart here. 
Father, I pray today that there are some that are still lingering beside the pool and they know that they are saved. They know that the, the, the step of obedience is to, to, to jump in and identify with their Savior. God, I pray that you not allow anything to hinder them this morning, but the Spirit of God would open their hearts fully to the reality of a Savior who loves them, a reality of a Savior who saved them, a reality of a Savior who wants to walk closely with them through life right into the next. And God, I pray today that you would move us to a place of complete surrender, to a place of complete devotion, to a place of I will hold nothing back any longer for my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God, I pray if there's one here that's heart's pounding right now and knows that is them, that you just grant them the grace and the courage to be obedient to you and to reap the joy and the blessings of being all in for their Savior who is all in for them. God, for the rest of us, I pray as we continue to worship, we just bask in the wonder of who you are and what you've done. And God, our hearts would explode with worship to you, our God and our King. Be with those who are gonna share their testimonies, God. May this be a powerful time of demonstrating exactly what we just preached. And may your spirit move in power through their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara in St. Catharines, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestniagara.ca.